Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. We're going to be talking to the number three bantamweight contender in the world, Jimmy Rivera. He's ready for his UFC title shot. He's coming off one of the top fights of the year against Tomas Almeida, and he wants the winner at TJ vs. Cody. And then we're going to be joined by top featherweight prospect, Sodiq Youssef. He's not in the UFC yet, but he's an undefeated prospect. He's knocking everybody out that he fights. He's got a wrestling background as well, and definitely got to keep your eyes on Sodiq Youssef. And then we're going to talk to Mark Cherico. He's fighting this Tuesday on Dana White, Tuesday Night Contender. And you know the deal. He's looking to get that UFC contract in front of Dana White, in front of the matchmakers, in front of Snoop Dogg. So we're going to catch up with Mark Cherico. And last but not least, we're going to be joined in studio by 18-year-old phenom Jamar Whitehead. He's 9-1, 2-0 as an amateur, 7-1 as a junior amateur. He's coming off an 11-second first-round head kick KO and a 30-27 decision. So we're going to catch up with Jamar. I guarantee you he will be in the UFC before he's 23 years old. But first up, Jimmy Rivera. Here we go. Joining me now is the number three bantamweight on planet Earth. I'm talking about Jimmy Rivera. Jimmy, welcome back to Half the Battle. Thanks, man. How's everything going? Everything's going amazing. How's everything going for you? Good, just relaxing. Beautiful Sunday. Not really enjoying the weather, though, inside hanging out. So I got to ask you, just because I'm a fan of the sport and because I'm curious, what's it like going toe-to-toe with Tomas Almeida for 15 straight minutes? He uh, is tough, man. I tried to put him away, and it just wasn't happening. And uh, he, he's a tough and humble guy, I tell you that. Very humble. Had really nothing say bad to say or heard anything, really, you know, during the fight. So it was, it, was, it, was, it was really good. It was a good time. I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. Was that maybe the funnest fight of your career? Um, I, I don't know if it was my funnest. It was definitely a tough fight. I mean, it was hard. I was trying to put him away, but that guy, uh, that guy was game, and it was hard to put him away and finish the fight. Your teammate, Lyman Good, actually got the fight of the night bonus. Now, are you guys busting each other's balls about him getting it over you? Because I thought y'all clearly had the fight of the night. No, I'm not worried at all. It's just one of, if one of us gets on the team, it's great. You know what I mean? Um, I, you know, definitely want to bust someone's trap, especially a teammate when, you know, they'd rather win than getting fight at night bonus. You know, so it was a he had a tough match. It was a close fight, and um, I, I think him and I think even even myself agree would rather have the win instead of a bonus. Yeah, definitely. Well, both fights were incredible. And, dude, you know, Tomas Almeida is known for, you know, when people start getting a little tired, they start getting a little hurt, he unloads on 30-punch combinations, and he puts dudes away. Now, in the third round, it was either 2 nothing you or 1-1, to and he had to make a decision. He had to be like, all right, I got to bite down. I got to go out there and take this dude out. And it seemed like in that third round, he wanted to get off on one of those 30-punch combinations. You ducked under a beautiful entry. You took him to the mat. Was that part of the game plan, or was that just spur of the moment? Um, no, nah, I mean, I watched his fights. I got to train with a lot of people who, especially one of the guys that really emulated him well. And at the end of it, I, you know, he went, was looking for the finish and I was trying to look for the finish too, but the bombs that he threw, I, I was able to slip and duck and weave and get out of the way of them. And, um, you know, the whole thing was to take, take him down and try to ground and pound that third round. But, uh, Halfway through, I was like, you know what? Let me let him up. I want to. Uh, I want to try to knock him out. I want to try to get that impressive finish. So, what's next for you, man? Is it that title shot? I don't know. I haven't heard anything back yet. So, uh, Cody and TJ are supposed to fight. Supposedly, Cruz is still hurt. Um, so, the only thing that makes sense is fighting the winner of TJ and Cody. That's the only thing that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, I mean, look, I've said you were a top five guy before you were even ranked. Now you're number three in the world, so it makes sense that you get the next shot, but you know how it is with the politics with Dominic Cruz. Even though he hasn't fought since December of last year, you know how this shit works, man. But I know you're a guy that visualizes. I mean, look, you're 21 and one. No one has a record like that. So when you think about it, are you the next guy when you visualize that? Yeah, I definitely believe I'm the next guy. You know what I mean? I don't believe if Cruz wanted wanted to fight, then that would ultimately give the next like would make the one number one contender fight. But if he doesn't want to fight, then that automatically he forfeits the spot. I'm the number one contender. He lost his last fight. He didn't want to rematch. Um, Cody right away, which doesn't make sense. If I was a champ I lost, I would want to rematch right away. So this way I could go in there and get my belt back if I was in his shoes. Um, I think he was very surprised that I called him out. And it was only that it made sense. You know, if I came out with my the victory of that fight, it was either fighting, you know, TJ because Cody was still hurt or fighting Cruz and getting that number one spot. But if he doesn't want to fight, then there's no reason why they should give him a fight against uh, whoever wins that match. That's true. So Tiger Shulman's, you guys are killing it lately. Yourself, Shane Burgos, Lyman Good got the fight of the night. Are there a bunch of other guys that I don't even know about that are coming up that are going to do big things as well? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, my, my teammate Louis Gallner, who's at 25, is getting back into the mix again. Um, Julio Arce, who fought in the Contender Series, um, is getting is, – is, should get the next call, probably a short-notice call. He won his match. He knocked the guy out with TK, TKO stoppage. And I think – you know, we're really put our name on the map, but we're not really uh, like a fighting score at the end of the day. We just have a handful of us that um, always competed as a kid or an adult and wanted to take it further. And, and that's where I mean, we always had great training and we always teach our students to the utmost. So it really, you know, everybody thinks we're a commercialized school, which we're not. We're just very successful at what we do at. Now, Julio Arce, you mentioned him. He looked incredible in his fight. I was very surprised he didn't get the contract, but at the same time, you know, I know for a fact this dude's going to get the call. Now, uh, you know, how do you see him doing in the UFC, man? Because, I mean, that performance spoke for itself. That was a very tough guy. I've seen him train with a lot of guys. Um, and a lot of, like, cross-training was, like, you know, Frank Yeager and Eddie Alvarez over there. And then training with guys from um, Long Island MMA. He does really well. It's just all who shows up that day. But he's an unbelievable fighter. Well, dude, I heard uh, you recently got married. What's a, what's the married life treating you like? How's the, how's the old lady doing? She's great. She's actually doing a little – she's working right now. She'll be back home in a little bit. Um, it's good. I've, I've noticed since I was a kid, her dad owns a school in Allentown, and he actually coached me a couple times. And my wife has taught me um, as I was coming up in Tiger Showman's. And she's actually trained, and she's a black belt. She got her – we always bust each other's shops because she got her black belt when she was like seven and I got mine a little older, but she's only a first degree. I'm a third degree. So we're supposed to each other's shops. Um, it's great. She supports me without full. She uh, meal press for me. She's there for me a hundred percent. She's into marketing. So it helps me even more with my social media and stuff like that. Um, she's just unbelievable. She's great. And I'm glad I have someone like her in my life. That's awesome, man. Congrats. Thank you so much. So, dude, the champion in your weight class right now is Cody Garbrandt. And I already – see, I was going to ask you how do you think you stack up with both guys, but I've already seen you and TJ Spar, so I kind of know the deal. But let's say – let's assume Cody gets this win, even though we never know what's going to happen. This is MMA. It could go either way. But let's assume Cody gets the win. How do you think you match up with the champion? Oh, I could beat him. I could beat him. He, uh, he's got decent hands, but besides that, I, I could beat him. I just got to get the opportunity to do it. Um, 
I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I don't even know if he's going to make it to the fight. You know, he back surgery and, and hurting your back and what I've heard, you know, is it's pretty bad. You know what I mean? It's not something you come back from right away. So, you know, you look at Dom, you know, his knees, both knees after a while. This happened. He hurt one knee and then the other knee goes and he was out for a while. So it's really interesting to see what's going to happen and, you know, if he is going to make it a fight or how the fight's going to play out. Um, I think I stack up and I could beat him. And I tell people all the time, well, he needs a shot. Once I get that shot, then I'll be able to take that belt from him. Look, Cody's a young guy. Since you brought up the injuries, I want to ask you, man, how, how's your body feeling? You know, because, look, you've had a lot of fights in the sport, but you're not a guy that takes a lot of damage. Um, I'm good. I'm fine. Um, I, I enjoy these couple weeks. I train light these couple weeks and uh, just enjoying some time, you know, I guess, uh, you know, some personal time. But I feel good. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to the next fight. I'm hoping to get some November 4th. But I, you know, there's I don't know what what's gonna happen or if they're gonna keep me on the back burner in case Cody gets hurt or if Cruz is actually gonna step up and fight. I, I really don't know what's gonna happen. I'm just gonna kind of be always ready for whatever could or might happen. Yeah, I mean, look, you're a guy that stays ready all the time. But do you like those layoffs or do you like fighting often? Because you you were coming off a layoff before the Almeida fight. Oh, no, I like fighting often. I hate not fighting. You know, to have that long layoff and Caraway screw me over and. And and all that it it sucks, you know what I mean? Like I was supposed to fight Caraway, he said he didn't want the fight like three or four times in a row. Now he finally, you know, it was like, oh, I'll take the fight, and then he gets hurt two weeks before. And I'm like, huh. he screws up the whole plans of what's going to happen and move forward. You know, it, it is what it is. He never wanted to fight me. Now I heard he's calling on Lineker, and that's who he wanted to fight. He's a wrestler, and Lineker can't stop a takedown for his life. So um, that's the matchup he wanted. I mean, look, Caraway is known for those kind of things. And if you've been around the fight game for a while, you, you already know this. So it's unfortunate for you, you know, because when uh, they offer you that other fight and we know it doesn't really make sense for you, do you feel like now you've kind of gotten back in the good graces putting on an unbelievable fight with Tomas Almeida? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe I, I, I did. Everything's good. We, we, we spoke, but, you know, it's kind of in the mix. Of like, you know, if Cruz doesn't want to fight and then they got Cody and TJ, I kind of got to sit and wait. That's it. I mean... I fought back, and I fought Almeida, who was ranked eight or nine at the time, and now I'm up there. And it's funny because a lot of guys that, you know, we, that were offered me to fight didn't want to fight me. Now they want to fight me. So I'm like, yeah, you can just wait, you can wait your turn. It's all right. Once I have the belt, then I, then I'll decide who I want to fight. But it's funny. It's uh, it's quite interesting to be on, you know, the top three and be able to see all these people and getting called out nonstop. I think it's hilarious. I think, you know. I went one step back fighting Almeida, who wasn't ranked. Now, hopefully, I go one step forward, which makes sense. Yeah, I mean, him not being ranked is kind of a joke because that dude is a badass. But I know exactly who you're talking about. But I wanted to ask you this, man, because, look, I know you're number three, and this guy is number four, Rafael Asuncao. Now, I, I spoke to him in person. He's actually looking for the cruise fight as well, but you never know. You guys might get matched up in the meantime. How do you feel about that potential matchup? Uh, it's not going to happen. You don't think so? No, no, we, we, that was the fight we wanted in the beginning. And, it, you know, he was going to fight Marlon. He said, no, nah, the fight's not going to happen. He said yes to me, and then he heard no and all this other stuff. And then that, that fight's just not going to happen. I don't believe that fight's going to happen. There's no, there's no really reason for that fight to happen, to be honest. You know, um, it, it wasn't a good fight at the, at the end of the day. I heard from the UFC, like, you should fight Almeida. He, he's the one that you need to be to get a shot and go forward. And, um, we wanted that fight, and they were like, "No, that's no, that's not gonna happen." Now that he, you know, who did he beat? He beat Marlon, and then who was his last win after that? Uh, that was his last win. 
Marlon. Uh, one before that, he lost against TJ, right? Yep. Yeah, win five in a row like I did, and then maybe we could talk. Yeah. That's that's what that's what I believe. Every, all these people are calling out. I'm like, get to where I'm at, and then we could talk. Maybe I'm like, it's it, it's not that uh, I'm asking for it. I think I earned it, and I worked my ass off to get where I'm at, and I want to move forward now. And the next thing moving forward is you know fighting for the belt. It's all it's all looking positive, man. I'm excited for you. How- are you happy, man? You feeling good about the career progression? I'm feeling great, man. I'm enjoying life right now. I mean, my wife and I, um, we got married. One of the reasons I got married, we bought a house, and I'm enjoying, you know, actually coming to home and saying this is mine and, and sitting in it. And we, we did a lot of work, her father-in-law and I, and a good friend of mine who's my contractor, John, we did a lot of work to the house. Like, we redid the whole house. It doesn't look – people come in, it's like, it doesn't look the same. I, I know a lot of neighbors are really nice. So it's really cool just to enjoy life you know, in a way. But then, you know, I'm back teaching again. And, and and working like you know from you know four to ten training in the morning doing the, the what I what I used to do before I had the fight. So when I have a fight, I take a little bit back from work. I really focus on the fight. But then when the fight's over, I get right back to work. I was working Wednesday, the week after my fight. Monday and Tuesday, I took some time off to spend with my wife. And that Wednesday, I was back right at it right away, and uh, was working and teaching. How was it back with the kids after that incredible fight? It was great. Everybody was super excited. It was cool. It's great to see, uh, you know, smiling students' faces and how they feel and all that. It's, it's really unbelievable. I, I really enjoyed it, and it was great to make them proud and make my family and my friends proud and uh, and my students. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. Always a pleasure, my man. A- any message for the fans before we get out of here? Uh, hopefully, to see some fireworks. Hopefully, you know, November fourth, Cruz takes it or we get something at. I don't know something. And I'd be super, super excited about it. But uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate you always been backing me since day one. And I appreciate you coming out and always, you know, doing an interview with me and hitting me up. Yes, sir. You got it. Follow this man at Jimmy Rivera 135. Jimmy, thanks again for the time as always, brother. And best of luck in the next step, man. Thanks, man. Best of luck to you. Have a good one, all right? Thank you, sir. Take care. Joining me now is featherweight prospect Sodiq Youssef. Sodiq, welcome to Half the Battle. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Doing amazing. How are you? Same, same. Can't complain. That's good to hear. So, obviously, you're one of the brightest prospects in the featherweight division. You're not in the UFC yet, but, man, I mean, how far away are you from that UFC debut? Man, hopefully it's right around the corner, man. I'm just doing my part, taking taking some good fights, putting on good showing. Hopefully, they're going to have me there soon. I'm really, hopefully, in the next couple of months, man. There's a UFC coming by home. They, they usually don't come around here very much, but I'm hoping that's my way in. Man, that would be incredible. So tell me about your martial arts background because, look, I've watched you knock all these dudes out, but then I also saw some wrestling footage as well. So obviously you're a well-rounded fighter. Yeah, uh, so basically I, I, I started wrestling in high school. I've been watching MMA since I was a kid, but I started wrestling in high school. And then right after high school, I came here to Team Lloyd Irvin, and I've been training basically three, three minimum three a days for the past six years. So most of the stuff I picked up, I picked up here. I only re- I only really wrestled two years in high school. A lot of my wrestling that I have now is from jiu-jitsu. I train with the best jiu-jitsu team around this area, one of the best jiu-jitsu teams in the world. So I was able to pick up a lot. And the amount of mat hours I put in, it helped me increase my my technique drastically. So a lot of people, they see these knockouts out there, but they don't realize I'm from a jiu-jitsu gym, you know? Yeah, no, that's so awesome, the credit you give to your gym. But, I mean, let's not discredit your wrestling background either because I saw those snapdowns. I saw those sprawls. That was serious, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I 
my 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 wrestling uh, i i had a lot of good people help me out when i was in high school but i felt like i reached my full potential after i graduated you know if i had a little bit more time to wrestle i feel like i would have been able to accomplish a lot more so did you go to high school in maryland yeah yeah i went to high school here in maryland bladensburg high school okay and then how old were you when you decided that you wanted to start training mixed martial arts Man, I, man, I've wanted to do MMA since I was a kid, you know, but I, I, we was pretty poor, right? I couldn't afford any type of martial arts school, you know? So when, um, after I graduated high school, at first I wasn't able to go to college because I wasn't a citizen yet. I couldn't, um, I couldn't make the instant switch. So I just stayed at home on the couch, basically waiting, waiting for all that stuff to get settled. And I saw Mike Easton on, on the UFC DC card. I forgot who was the main event, but yeah, I saw Mike Easton on that card, and I, I've always been planning on coming here to Team Lloyd Irwin to come train, but the distance from where I live was so far, and I didn't have a lot of cash on me, but I saw they had a 30-day free trial, and my and I had my birthday was also like a month away, so I was like, man, if I do a 30-day free trial, and then my birthday comes, I'll be at least be able to pay for two, two, months, of, <laughs> two months of training, so I got on the bus that day, and Started training when I was 19. Yeah, I, I got here when I was 19. Oh, wow. So you didn't even start with like a street fighting background or anything. You just started with a dream and then you pursued it. Nah, well, it, you know how it is around here. It, fights, fights are fights. But I, I don't I, – I hate when people do that. Oh, yeah, I was fighting in the streets and blah, blah, blah. Nah, <laughs> this is a sport. The way I see it, man, this, this fight – MMA is different. It's a sport. The, the amount of time you put into the sport, that's what you're going to get out. It don't matter how many street fights you had or how many dudes you knocked out at the bar, you know. You get in here. The only reason why I'm good is because of the mat hours I put in. Yeah, so, I mean, you talk about uh, how you had that free trial. So, when you were going through that, I mean, did the coaches recognize the talent and the work ethic right away, or what was the deal? Yeah, yeah. Now nah, they definitely saw the work ethic. Like, um, for a while... When I got here, you know, I'll just I'll train, I'll do the regular basics class, the the thirty day free trial class you get. But I always made sure I sat around and I watched the professionals and I watched the high level black belts. Around that time, though, um, there was a lot of competition going on for jujitsu, so I was just sitting around and watching all of those guys. And they they gave me the nickname the jujitsu stalker. You know, they started so because I'll be there every single class. I'll sit on the side and just watch. I wasn't allowed to be in the class, but I watch. And then around the as more people started getting to know me they started letting me join a little bit more, especially when they realized I was taking like three hour bus rides to get to the gym, you know, the, where I lived, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a license where I lived. If, if you took a car, it'll only really be 25 minutes. If you took a train, it'll be an hour. The problem with the train was the train was like $12 at the time being a little broke kid. $12 is a lot. If I took the bus, it was only $3. And with the bus, I just had to go from one station to the next, to the next, to the next, just like that. And altogether, it'll take three hours. I was like, man, I could do that. $3 a day wasn't, and $12 a day is a big difference. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, basically what you're telling me is that nothing's going to stop you. Nah, no way, man. Especially, man, now when I look back at it, the, those nighttime training sessions, I used to get home like around 1 o'clock in, like in the morning. Back then, I look back, I'm like, man, I, I can't believe my mom was letting me do that craziness. Around... You you might not know the area, but there's some pretty dangerous bus bus stops and bus stations around here that you don't want to be at at 12 o'clock in the morning. But you know, I was determined. I had a goal, and I the, I was gonna do whatever it took to make that happen. Man, now now I see why you and Vic are such good friends, man. What's it like having someone like that who's so focused, so determined as your one of your main training partners? Exactly, man. Vic, Vic's my boy, man. Is is a real good person to look look up to. And so Vic's been here since the beginning of my career. 
So the from I'm talking about from me learning how to throw one twos. So it's good to have somebody like Vic around to show you what hard work really is. A lot of people think they work hard, but they don't. A lot of people they just, they're just doing what they have to. A lot of people also don't have a they don't take practice as serious as they should. Some people just show up to practice because, hey, this is time for practices, blah, blah, blah. But I've seen Vic, the same way he, he was here from um, me learning how to throw one-two, I've seen him from his first UFC fight to where he is now, you know. So it was a perfect it was a perfect role model for me to look after. And Vic was one of the first. He always said, man, you're, you're going to be in the UFC just like me. You're going to be, uh, you, uh, you know how Vic is, man. Motherfucker, you're going to be in the UFC just like me. <laughs> but it was a perfect person for me to look up to, man. I... And trust me, Vic, Vic's going to make a lot of people see see some great things pretty soon. Oh, I already know, but everyone else needs to know, and they will very, very soon. So, man, I got to ask you, when did you first realize you had that kind of KO power? Man, <laughs> I, honestly, around here, D.C., this region is a hotbed for boxing. There's so many boxing prospects around here, and I focus a lot on boxing. I work with a lot of different boxing coaches, a lot of different boxing gyms, and a lot of prospects from around here. When you work with people like that, you start picking up stuff. You start picking up stuff. Slowly but surely, you start saying, hey, when I go back to sparring with MMA guys, I'm starting to make people wobble a little bit. When I take off these gloves, people are feeling a lot of the punches differently. People are slowing down differently. So basically, the, the power, when, when I'm training with, the, with my regular boxing sparring partners, it, it's just like everybody else. It don't feel like anything different. But then when you start training with MMA guys... And during the fights, you see those box, those punches feel a little different. You see those the MMA guys also throw the punches a little different. I didn't, man. Honestly, if if you if if you see the way we train, then it'll be too it'll be expected. You know, I don't think I'm out there doing anything crazy, but the power is power. With four ounce gloves, man, you should be able to do that every single time, breaking ribs and putting people out of there. There's no way someone should be standing in front of you if you're turning your punches over. Now, I mean, it's not just the power. It's the power mixed with the confidence and the wrestling. And I would imagine that confidence comes from the hard work you put in, right? Yes, sir. Man, 100%. I, man, I always tell people, it's, like, it's, not, it's not like I'm an arrogant person. But from, the, from my schedule and the way that I train, I expect a lot of these stuff to happen. If they don't, the, my last fight, I told you, like, the guy was like, man, how do you feel? You just want your fight, you just blah, blah, blah. I was like, man. I feel like that's supposed to happen. If it didn't happen, man, I'll be crushed. I, I put I put the work in for these type of results to happen every single time. I work hard. It takes hard work to be able to be confident. You can't it, you can't fool yourself. And I'll never lie to myself. The reason why I'm confident is because I work hard. If I didn't work hard, I wouldn't be out here lying to myself. So what do you recommend for people that also have a serious work ethic? How do you recover between workouts? Between... <laughs> At this point, I honestly, I, my coach, my coaches focus on that. I, when I, so when I during fight camp, the only thing that trains, I mean, that changes when I have a fight coming up is I guess a rest a lot more. Like I, and I know that sounds a little, a little silly, but when when I'm not fighting, it's like go, 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 and then after a while, I crash. I, I get sick, and man, my my body just fails. So when I have a fight coming up, my coaches be like, all right, go home. Do this, do this. As you see, I'm in the gym right now. I will show you outside with the kids over there. I don't leave the gym. I wait. I wake up 8:30 in the morning, come over here, get my mouth, get my running in, and then I 
head straight to practice. And after practice, I start working with the kids. The kids are outside right now. Either we teach martial arts or we're working on something else. During the summer, we work with the summer camp. Outside of summer, we're working with the after-school program. And as soon as that's over, I'm back to training again. Either I'm here with my regular Muay Thai coaches or Jiu-Jitsu coaches, or I head to one of the boxing gyms around the area. But that's my schedule the whole time. If I might sneak, sneak a little nap in in the corner or something like that, but that's how it is, especially when I don't have a fight coming up. This is my time to cram, 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 cram. What's it like getting to hone your skills You know, with guys like Lloyd for the jiu-jitsu, Coach Jamal for the striking? I mean, not only are those guys experts in their respective fields, but they really want to see you specifically improve. Yeah, well, I, I, I always look at it this way. Um, Vic always tells me, he's like, um, man, you're spoiled. You don't realize you, you never had to have bad coaches. I was like, <laughs> so this, this, is all I, this is all I know since I started. Because I don't know any other way, you know. And it's great having those type of people around you. And it's also great having those pe- people around you who believes in you as much as you do. You should always believe in yourself. But that little extra is if everybody else sees what you see in yourself. Like Coach Jamal messes me all the time. Whenever I'm hitting passes, like whenever people start talking about, hey, Sadiq, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about this guy? Coach Jamal stop making jokes. He'd be like, Sadiq probably think he could beat that guy up or blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Not, not that I'm like arrogant or something, but, but you know, I, I believe in myself and they see that I believe in myself and they believe in me also. And technically, I know, you know, Master Lloyd and Coach Jamal, that, there's, there's nothing better. The technique is all there. There's no reason for me to be anywhere else. And whenever I need any little tiny adjustments, they'll happily bring somebody in. There's no egos around here. We're all just trying to get better. So, dude, let me ask you this because I've heard people, you know, throw around your name for Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. I've also heard that, you know, people want you to just go ahead and make that UFC debut. If it's up to you, I mean, how do you think it's going to all play out? Man, the, uh, a, a dream scenario would be to skip the line, you know. But I, I'll happily take one of those contender shows, man. I, if I can get on the contender, that's all I need right there because I already know I'll show out. But if I had to skip, if I could get to skip the line. Fine. Man, if I could show up at UFC's main event next weekend, I'll be all right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, however it happens is how it happens. Well, I guess what I'm trying to ask here is, you know, ha- have you been formally offered anything for Dana White's using that contender? Not yet. We're waiting on some phone calls, but nothing that I could confirm right now. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So, you got the opportunity to fight Chuka Willis, and, you know, he's a, a very good prospect. And interestingly enough, both of you guys have a Nigerian background. Now, I remember in the pre-fight talk, I forget if you said it or he said it, but one of you guys said, you know, my mom wasn't too happy about the fact that I'm fighting a fellow Nigerian. Was that you or him? And yeah, yeah, that was, that, that was me, man. In, in, my, in my mom's eyes, I was about to go fight Andre the Giant, man. My, my mom could care. They... Here, so let me let me tell you a funny story. So I went to um, Nigeria last year, and I was I was playing my my fight videos for my brothers and stuff, and it was like I fought I fought a Russian when I was in when I was an amateur. I fought this Russian guy, and then one of my brothers was guy. He he looks at me. He goes, "Man, Sadiq, those white people, they're not very strong, are they?" I was like, "Man, nah, this guy." I was, I was like, "Nah, nah, man, man, he's good. He was strong. He was blah blah." He's like. No, 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 no. Show me the black guys. <laughs> so when when my mom, with that story being told, when my mom heard I was fighting another Nigerian, man, as you see, I take a lot of pride in my culture, I, where I come from. But So when they heard I was fighting another Nigerian, 
they were so scared. Like there was uh, my my dad wanted to talk to my coaches. My dad don't know a single thing about fighting. <laughs> he, wanted to to, he wanted to talk to my coaches. He was like, "Oh no, why, why why would they do that? Why would they put you against another Nigerian? Why would they do this?" Blah, blah, blah. But it's just it's, it's it's the pride we have in our people, man. You know, we we expect a certain thing from our people, and that that's just how that's also all it is. I want to talk to you about that Nigerian pride here in a second because you mentioned how it took you a while to get that citizenship. But before I talk to you about that, so your fight with Chuka, man, it went the full three-round distance. Now, for me personally, as you know, a true fan of the sport, I felt like that was a seriously mature performance. I was like, damn, yeah. this guy's ready for the UFC. But I heard a bunch of people criticizing you for that fight. I was like, well, listen, because for me, I, I like to know that someone can knock someone out in the first round. But I, my question's always been, well, what happens if it goes the full 15-minute distance? You answer that question. Yeah, man. I, honestly, uh, uh, the commentators played a lot into that. It was it was very very unprofessional, you know. Like you you're, you're trying to sell the fight, not not shame your fighters, you know. Um, I don't I don't I don't see how they couldn't appreciate the technique behind that. It was basically a clinching exhibition. The the moment I put him against the cage and I realized, hey man, this guy's not he's not gonna take any risks to get out of here, and I'm gonna dominate him in this position. There's what what's the reason in it for me to switch it up? I landed so many clean knees to his body, and let's say one of those knees that put him down, because there was a couple where he was making noises and crumbling, easily could have put him down. It's up to the commentators and stuff to explain that to the casual fans. When the commentators are also over there criticizing you while you're putting on a, a great performance, a shutout, a 30-27, a clean shutout, then it makes you look bad. But, you know, I'm not tripping off of that. I'm on to the next one. Yes, sir. And speaking of the next one, you got to fight a very, very tough Russian. And just to preface it, you know, Russians are some of the toughest warriors on planet Earth. And whenever you get into a fight with them, you know right away that you've been in a fight. You went out there and knocked this guy out in 30 seconds. I mean, was that expected or did it just go down like that? Uh, no, it just went out. Honest, I, don't, I don't plan a lot of my fights. I kind of just freestyle it. Him, I, I took a more more time focusing on, on grappling and jiu-jitsu because um, – he was a boxer and a leg lock guy, which is a strange combination. You know, he he's he has a lot of um. I think most of his wins are all submissions of him getting leg locks and triangles and stuff like that. But he was pretty good on the hands. I think he he un, he might have underestimated my my striking a little bit because he he didn't make certain adjustments. Even though it was a it was a fast fight, a lot of stuff happened in that thirty seconds. You know, he um the the as soon as we met up, he land he landed a like. Not really. The jab kind of like slipped against my face, and I landed a good right hand, but it hit him in the chest. He didn't adjust. He came right back in in the same level with the same attack again. And when I threw my right hand, I was I was gonna um, beat his jab with an overhand, and I was I threw the overhand. When the overhand missed, he rolled and stayed in the same spot. Like a lot of times when you roll, you want to roll in circles so you're on the outside shoulder. So when he rolled and stayed in the same spot, I saw him coming up like out of my periphery. I saw him coming up, so I was like, man, this this hook is gonna be money. And then <laughs> and then it landed, and that was, that was that. Yeah. Now for me again, I gotta bring up the Chuka fight because it showed that look. Even though I already knew you could knock guys out early, it reconfirmed it again that, you know, because people might have been like, oh, is he, you know, is he getting comfortable with his knockouts? Now he's going to become this grinder. And it's like, no, he's yeah. a well-rounded fighter. Yeah, yes, yeah, sir. That's all it is, man. I was like, I could easily go out there and show a jiu-jitsu exhibition next fight if I want to, man. It was like, I don't have to go out there. Also, 
I'm preparing for the best guys. There's sometimes during my fights where my coaches tell me, let's work on this, 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 and this. Because when, by, when I get to the UFC, I'm not going to be knocking everybody out like that. It will be great if I can, but there's going to be some guys that are going to be able to survive, and you have to be able to switch it up. What I did in that Chuga fight was pick the easiest path to the victory. And the, it was only easy because he wasn't willing to take any risks. It's not my job to take risks. It's my job to dominate people. And it was a very dominant performance. It was an easy shutout. Indeed it was. Now, I really wanted to talk to you about that Nigerian pride, man, because you brought up the fact that, you know, it took you a while to get that, that citizenship. So, I mean, what was the process like? And, you know, how did it eventually come to fruition now you got an American citizenship? Well, my mom, my mom fell in love and got married. So she, she, we was able to get a citizenship like that. But, you know, before that, it was, it was real tough. Being, a lot of people don't know the, the, the immigrant struggles in this country, man. Like, there's, <laughs> it, it, it sucks. Trust me. There was a lot of, there was a lot of sucky times growing up. I remember there was one, me, me and my brother, we always talk about this. I remember celebrating Christmas with um, three wings and fried rice. But those type of stuff is, is motivation, you know. It, it's stuff that you could think about like, hey, no matter what, we're working from this point and we're moving up. We're working up. We're working up. We're working up. That that man. That's why a lot a lot of a lot of these people. That's why I put so much pride in in being Nigerian. I can't relate to every Nigerian out there, but I can relate to a lot of Nigerians that are here. Trust me. Like there's there's the the same. A lot of us go through the same struggle, and that's why I keep that keep that flag so high. And all my brothers back home, all my sisters back home. I talk to them every single day. I that's why. I, no matter what, I always feel like I'm Nigerian. One of my biggest fears is that my kid won't be able to speak my language, because I, I I want I want that culture to stay in him too. Yes, sir. We well, just gotta teach him young. That's it. Yes, sir. Well, so Deke, that's incredible, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let the audience know where they can follow you on social media and any message for the fans. Go ahead. Yeah, follow me on Instagram at Deke D E E K and five Ys. And same thing on, twi on Twitter, Sadiq Yusuf on Facebook. And for all the fans, man, just keep watching out for me, man. You already know I'm going to bring that Nigerian pride to the USC sooner or later. I'm trying to let them know the Africans are coming. Yes, sir. Thank you so much again for the time and best of luck in the next step, man. Thank you. Joining me now is the man competing on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. I'm talking about Mark Cherico. Mark, welcome to Half the Battle. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the pleasure's all mine. So, dude, you got this massive opportunity, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender. I mean, he's been signing dudes left and right off the show. You got Snoop Dogg calling the fights. How excited are you for this opportunity? Oh, man, I don't know if I'm more excited to fight in front of Dana and Sean or to have Snoop Dogg commentate on <laughs> No, I know exactly how you feel. I mean, not as, not in the sense that I'm, I'd be the guy stepping in there, but having Snoop Dogg do anything, I mean, that's an honor. That's a that's a gangster right there. Oh, yeah, Snoop's a fucking man. So, man, I mean, you know, it's an interesting environment because I'm sure you're used to fighting on all these shows. You know, either the fans are there for you or they're, you know, against you. But here, you're going to be in a little hot gym with only about 100 people. It's going to be a very interesting, unique environment. How do you feel about that? It's pretty cool. It's like uh, like a smoker, really, you know, uh, like the old school boxing yeah, yeah. or smokers. Uh, so it's kind of cool. I mean, I, we've had a couple of those at my gym uh, previously, and I, I've cornered or coached uh, a couple different guys for them, and I always like the atmosphere of it. So it's kind of cool to get to experience it myself. Did you ever have one of those back, like, early in your career? No. I mean, I, I've fought in some, some – uh, 
some places. Uh, I mean, I fought in like Niles, Ohio. I fought in a place called McMenemies. It was a bar. I actually had an MMA fight in their parking lot. <laughs> MMA fight in their restaurant, like in the restaurant we had a fight. Uh, and I boxed right outside of a uh, Quaker Steak and Lube uh, here in Pittsburgh. So I've had some little like, uh, I mean, basically like smokers, but they were sanctioned bouts. Now, when we talk about fighting in a parking lot, are you saying they set up the cage or ring there? Yes, there was actually a cage set up in in, a, in their back parking lot of McMenemy's Bar and Grill in Niles, Ohio. And I fought there. I remember I was the main event. We were going to the promoter. I was like, hey, it's getting kind of dark. Like, what's the game <laughs> lighting? And he goes, oh, the, the, the parking lot lights will keep it lit. Yeah, yeah, it worked out really good. You, you've come a long way, my friend. Yeah, yeah. so man you're taking on this dude mike santiago and i got a lot of respect for this guy and i'll tell you why so you know he used to be what people would refer to as a journeyman you know he used to kind of be like a 500 fighter he'd win one lose one you know on and off but then he i don't know what happened but now he's on a 10 fight win streak he put it all together and now he's got an opportunity how do you feel about your opponent man he's tough I think when you look at like the the first like nineteen fights he had, and then when he was ten and nine, he fought a lot, a lot of tough guys. You know, like Frankie Perez and uh, a couple. Of, there was another UFC guy on there. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, he was on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Philip uh, Nover. So you know, a couple of his losses. There were some pretty tough guys in there. Uh, his ten fight win streak. He, he's fought a lot uh, in the last like three years, but uh, I don't think he's fought anybody at the caliber of me in that 10 fight win streak uh so and i look forward to proving that theory correct on the 22nd you know without giving away your game plan or strategy what areas of the game do you feel like you have the advantage i feel like i can beat him anywhere anywhere the fight goes i think i'm more i'm more well-rounded um no, i think i can hurt him on the feet or uh finish him on the ground now, you know what's interesting? Looking over your record on paper, you have not just one via TKO, but you've actually injured more than one opponent in a fight before. And I find that kind of interesting because it reminds me of this guy, Alex Cowboy. I don't know if you've seen him fight before. But just with certain dudes, they just uh, they have that ability to injure their opponents. I know you'll take a win by any means necessary, but can you kind of comment on that? Uh, well, the one was actually a cut. Uh, they, they rolled in an injury. Uh but I, I've had a couple other like different injuries in fights to guys that end up getting his submissions and stuff. And uh, the last fight was just kind of weird, man. I was dragging him to the ground uh, with a bat at his back on a takedown. I was dragging him to the floor, and his uh, his leg got stuck underneath him. It just uh, snapped. Uh, it was pretty nasty. I feel like <laughs> I, I, it was really frustrating because I had his back, and I felt like I was going to end it anyways. But, you know, hey, my, my check will cash either way, so. There you go. Uh, I feel like when you when you lift as much as I have, like you, you build up like bone density, and um, I feel like I got thick bones, and I, I don't have any problem checking kicks. Now, one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of these guys, not just on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender, but even newcomers in the UFC, is that they get there and they don't have enough experience. Like, for example, a lot of these guys will be coming off a bunch of first-round finishes, but they don't know what it's like to go the full three-round distance. You know what it's like to finish someone in the first round. You know what it's like to go the full 15-minute distance. You also know what it's like to tap someone out. What's your favorite way to win a fight, man? Uh, I think my favorite way to win a fight is probably submission. Uh, there, there's something there's something uh, 
to be said for making your opponent have to quit. So I'm I'm a fan of the uh, the submission victory. You've had one pro defeat, and I, I bring it up not to be a dick, but I bring it up because every fighter has to take that first L. It does not matter who you are, but the true fighters come back better. You're on a win streak. Tell me what you learned about your first defeat. Uh, well, one, I learned I, I shouldn't dabble at 135. It's just not <laughs> on my part. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot of things from that, especially from trying to make the weight. Like, you can't do your entire camp based off of working out for sweats and for calorie burning. Like I remember going to the gym and coach would want to drill, you know, want to like work game plan stuff. I'm like, Oh man, I really got to get a sweat. Let's just roll. Let's just get a good roll. And let's get a good fucking barring session. in. I'm going to get some good bag work in. Like it was, there was never, like I never strategized for that fight. I, I just was super worried about getting the weight down and, and, and getting down. So for the fans that don't know what you're referring to, let, let, let's get this straight because you're fighting on Tuesday at 155 pounds, and you took on this fight with Kelleher at 135. We're actually we're actually fighting at 45. That's actually an error on uh, tapology. Oh, okay, 55. Uh, we're fighting at 45, but I, I've competed as heavy as 160, uh, and I walk around. Uh, in, in the 180 sometimes like this fight i was actually when my manager gave me the fight i was 187 uh five weeks out <laughs> and, uh, i woke up this morning i'm at 158 so i mean i'm there to make the weight but it, you know it's rough it sounds to me like when you tried to make uh bantam weight that the weight cut was more of a fight than the fight itself yeah it was it was like an every day like and then you're constantly stressing it it's all you think about you don't sleep well. Uh, you're beating your body up because you're doing things that you wouldn't normally do, especially in a camp when you're on less and less calorie and you're restricting your diet and uh, like running, which I don't really like care to run. Like there's there's a lot of other ways that you can get your conditioning in for fighting than running. Running is gonna kill your legs, and you know I was doing a lot of that because I, I was trying to get the weight off faster and. You know, doing three practices a day, four practices a day, all hard practices. There was no skill work. Uh, it really beat me up. And come fight week, I mean, I took like pretty much the whole week off to recover, and I felt great the night of the fight. It just, I wasn't as, I wasn't as sharp as I could have been. I feel. You said there's other ways to work on your conditioning besides uh, running. What do you recommend, man? Uh, one of the things we do are like interval training on the bag and like on uh, on the uh, the groundwork dummies where we'll do like the first week in, you know, we're doing 60 second intervals where you're going as hard as you possibly can on the bag for 60 seconds. Rest till your heart rate drops. For me, we, we go down to uh, 120. I do it again and I do it again. Every week we build on top of it to we're like 90 seconds on the bag. And, you know, your heart rate's dropping back down, recovered in 30 seconds and you're doing it again. You know, we're doing that 12 to 15 rounds and then we rest 10 minutes and I go do uh, groundwork like that. So it's stand up rounds, ground rounds. Now, do you feel like it's immensely helped your conditioning compared to back when the days when you used to run? Oh, definitely. I feel I feel much better when I, when I do this. My legs aren't as beat up, so it allows me to train better. Uh, and I definitely recommend it. Awesome. Well, dude, it's going down Tuesday. Dana White, Tuesday night contender. This is your chance, man. Now, if it were up to you, how's it going to go down Tuesday night? Oh, it's going to go down. We're going to stand in front of each other, punch each other in the face with everybody on their feet going wild and 
someone's going to fall, preferably uh, Santiago, and I get my hand raised. Well, that's what the fans like to hear. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been a pleasure, man. Let the audience know where they can follow you on social media and any message for the fans. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank all my friends and family for their support. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Mark Cherico MMA. And I'm also on Instagram at MCherico MMA. And I got a fan page on Facebook, the Pride of Bloomfield, Mark Cherico. Joining me now is Jamar the Rockstar Whitehead. Jamar, what's going on, man? What's up, man? Thank you for having me back. Oh, uh, the pleasure's all mine. So we actually got you in studio. We're doing this in person, man. This is a first for half the battle. I mean, normally when I do it in studio, it's just with my co-host Shaq. But now we got Georgia's finest, the future and former bantamweight champion, Jamar Whitehead. So it's good to have you back on the show, man. Good to be back, man. So, dude, I heard that your next fight just got scheduled. I heard someone's been calling you out. This guy named Damian Gaskins. He put up a little video with him weighing in uh, about you know, over 10 pounds over your weight limit, but he's saying he's making progress. He can make 135 by the time NFC 99 rolls around. How do you feel about this potential matchup with Damian Gaskins? I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm finally, I'm really happy that he finally took the fight, you know? When you say finally took the fight, was there a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we don't know uh, about? What I mean by that is just that I couldn't find a fight for a very long time, you know, and I really wanted to fight on NFC 99 just so I can beat up Josh at NFC 100. I'm glad that uh, that Damian Gaskin steps up to the plate and is down to take an L so that I can advance my career. You know, it's a really interesting situation you got going on here because your biggest rival on paper, Josh Mary, you know, this is a guy that went out there. He handed your brother Damian his first ever defeat. You guys have been talking a lot of shit for the past couple months, and now you get the opportunity to fight him, but he will only fight you under advanced amateur rules, which means, you know, the shin guards come off, you can hit each other in the face on the mat. However, the Georgia State Athletic Commission says you can only fight advanced amateur with three fights under your belt. And you got more than three fights. We all know that, but they're playing a little game with you since you are 18 years old. That's why you have to take this fight with Damian Gaskins at NFC 99 before you get to fight Mayor. Tell me about your thoughts on the whole, you know, this whole stipulation and I mean, do you feel extra pressure having to take a fight before the big rivalry? I'm I'm just a little annoyed, you know. It's like, what's the next excuse going to be? First off, it was, oh, we're going to wait until NFC 100. Now it's, oh, you have to fight me advanced amateur rules. What's going to be the next excuse after I beat down Gaskin? You know, and when you watch the tape on Gaskin, uh, you know, what part of the game do you think you're going to beat him in? I mean, he's he's terrible. He's just, he's... He's the Marcus Brimage of the NFC. He's there for you to win. That's it. That's his only purpose, and I'm glad that they're giving me the opportunity. So NFC 99, you get that chance. You get to go out there and potentially get a win over Damian Gaskins, and then, like we said, your biggest rival, Josh Mayer, at NFC 100. Tell us about this rivalry with Josh Mayer. Uh, he's, he's not tough at all, man. He's, he, he's frail. He has a frail body. I'll snap him in half with a kick, guaranteed. If if he wants to stay on the feet, I'll I'll box him up all day. If he goes to the ground, I'll submit him. No matter where it goes, I know I'm better than Josh. So he picked his poison. The shin guards come off now. It's pretty much going to be a pro fight. It's not going to go well for him, guaranteed. Tell us about the origin of the rivalry. Well, he sucker punched his way to a victory against my bro my brother. My brother was throwing him around for three rounds, nonstop. You know, just. Slamming him every time Josh tried to throw up a pitiful armbar. Reversing all the takedowns, staying, maintaining the top position. I mean, 
it was just a domination fight. Josh comes out in the third round and acts like he's going to touch my brother's glove. My brother goes out to touch his glove and he, he sucker punches him and then follows up with a, with a barrage of strikes. As soon as it goes to the ground, I mean, he got him with a, a very lucky armbar. Had my brother, had it not been been my brother's very first MMA fight, and Josh is sixth, my brother wouldn't have gotten such a big adrenaline dump, and he probably would have slammed him again, or he would have just broke out. I mean, he Josh really just got lucky in that fight. He wants to tell everyone that he beat up my brother, and he he dominate. He wants to dominate another whitehead. Show me where you dominated. My I I could show you pictures and video of my brother sl literally slamming you from the mat. Taking you from the cage and slamming you down. I have pictures of him on top of you in mount. I mean, what's going to be different this time? You're going to... Now it's advanced amateur. Now we can punch you in the face. You're just screwing yourself over, really, at the end of the day. But you picked your poison, so... Now, tell me about how you're able to put, you know, the heat, the animosity on the back burner and just go out there and do your thing because, look, you went 7-1 as a junior amateur, you're 2-0 as an amateur, and in the two fights you've had as an ami, you know, you had a you had a grudge match with Andrew Geigerich. This is a guy that went 54-0 as a wrestler. You knocked him out in 11 seconds, but then you had mutual respect with your most recent opponent, Kyle Creighton, and you 30-27 him. So tell me how you're able to kind of put that animosity on the back burner and just go out there and perform. There was no animosity or anything. It wasn't anything personal between me and Andrew at the end of the day, really. I just knew he's... I saw an opportunity where he was very mentally weak, and I, I chose to attack on it. Um, it works on some people. It works. On, it doesn't work on others. works on most people. Andrew fell right into everything I was saying. He wanted to go in there and try to take my head off, and what? Fell right into my left kick, you know? You know, it's so interesting because, like we mentioned, we preface this by saying this is a guy that went 54-0 in wrestling. One does not simply go 54-0 in wrestling, but then he goes out there and he's trying to spin on you. He's trying to throw big haymakers. You know, he kind of went away from his game plan. Is that what you tried to do with all the trash talk? Of course. He went mad out there. He went mad. He tried to take my head off immediately. But you don't do that against someone that's a brown Muay Thai fighter. Come on. You don't do that against somebody that has a whole bunch of Taekwondo experience. Why would you do that? You're a wrestler going in there against really a striker and you're going to rush him? I mean, a counter striker on top of that, you're going to rush them? I mean, everything I did fell right into plan. Uh, nothing was really different with Kyle Creighton. At the end of the day, it's a fight that we're in here for, you know? You can't, in my opinion, you can't just be so respectful to your opponent. He's trying to take your head off, you're trying to take their head off. If you saw me in the cage against Kyle Creighton, I was talking to him the entire time when he was on the ground struggling to get up. I, as he was bridging, I was like, where do you think you're going? You're going to stay right on the mat, right where you belong. He be Everything I did in that fight, I talked to him th the entire way through. It was, this is just, it's all, it's all a mind game pretty much. It's all strategy. Now, you train under the legendary Coach Brown, or as they like to refer to, Captain Brown. You know, this is a guy that coached Rick Rufus when he went out there and defeated Rob Kamen in the rematch. This is a guy that also coached Duke Rufus, you know. He has 17 world champions, Buster Douglas, and you get to have him as your head coach. I mean, what's it like training with such a legend of the sport like Coach Brown? Honestly, it feels really good to be trained by such a legend. You know, I've, I've been under his wing since I was 13, you know. I am Brown Muay Thai, if you really think about it. You know, I'm 18 now, five years, 
my style is literally him. What everything is, we block everything, we hit, don't get hit. That's that's what's gonna make me last so long in the sport too. Having his style as my base. You know what I love about Coach Brown. There's many things, obviously, you know, the pairing game, just his approach, his mindset. But it's interesting because a lot of there's a lot of naysayers. When people don't train with Coach Brown, they might say things such as Brown Muay Thai doesn't work in MMA. But then you see a guy like Showtime Pettis. Then you see a guy like Robbie Lawler. Now, I know Robbie Lawler never formally trained under Coach Brown, but he does have that similar pairing style, that hand fighting. That's what he brings to the table. And Anthony Showtime Pettis, obviously a disciple under Duke Rufus, who was taught directly by Captain Brown. I mean, that, that's what we're dealing with here, Jamar. If you look at my two MMA fights that I have and combine all the times I've gotten hit, I got hit maybe twice tops. And those both of those hits were coming from the Creighton fight. Obviously, Geigrich didn't lay a finger on me. But two times in, in, in two fights, that's that's what I'm talking about. If you look at how many times I was able to hit them, or at least with significant strikes, Compared to the significant strikes they landed on me, they it's none that they've landed on me. Um, and mine are through the roof. So brown Muay Thai till the day you die? Absolutely. What's more satisfying for you, going out there and ending a grudge match via 11-second head kick knockout or getting to show that, look, I can go the full three-round distance, I can 30-27, a super tough guy, mix in the takedown, show all aspects of my game? I definitely would... Would like to show all aspects of my game. An 11-second knockout's great, but if you're training, if you're having a full fight camp for 11 seconds, that's kind of disappointing in a way, you know? For my first MMA fight, I feel like, I really feel like Kyle Creighton was my first MMA fight, and Andrew was just another, just another green on my record, you know? Very simple. I went in there, I threw a kick, and that was it. Now, how do you respond to the criticism that, you know, you're too cocky, your head's too big? Because, you know, it's interesting because coming up, I heard the exact same things about Johnny Bones Jones, Conor McGregor, Anderson Silva, that, you know, they're too arrogant, they're too cocky, Roy Jones Jr., but at the end of the day, they're doing unbelievable things and they're achieving greatness. It makes me laugh, you know, all these people telling me, oh, you need to humble yourself, you need to be, you know, you just need to stop being so cocky or whatever, I'm like... I'm 18 years old, 9-1. and one. You know, I have an 11-second knockout, one of the fastest in Georgia. I'm, I'm dominating my fights. I'm looking good out there. What else do you want from me? I'm marketing myself well. You can tell me to be humble all you want, but at the end of the day, you're going to go watch me fight, guaranteed. You want to see me get knocked out or you want to see me succeed, but you're going to see me fight. So You know, and that's such a good point because... You hear about these guys and, you know, they're, they're super respectful. I'm not saying that being respectful is a bad thing because it's not. This is martial arts. You're supposed to be respectful. But you hear about these guys and no one wants to see them fight. No one gives a shit. With you, people either want to see you win or they want to see you lose. But regardless, they want to see you. And that's all that matters. That's what I love about this. You know, I love hearing the cheers. I, I even honestly, I, I don't mind the booze either. You know, it makes it more interesting. It shows that there's a little bit more... It's, it's there's some diversity in the fight, you know. It's not everybody going for you. It's not everyone going for your opponent. There's people in there that are going for you. People in there going for him. People in there that don't know who you are, and people and potential fans. If you put on a performance, you know. Listen, you're nine and one. You've made the walk ten times to the NFC cage. I mean, what's it like being eighteen years old making that walk? At this at this point, 
it's like another day in, in the office, you know. It, that every every time someone sees me on the fight card, just know the venue belongs to me while I'm walking out there. When I'm fighting, the entire venue belongs to me. Everyone, all eyes are on me. I'm I'm putting on a show. Everyone knows that. So it's like I said, it's just another day in the office at this point. So it's interesting because we talked about your upcoming opponent, Damian Gaskins. We talked about your the follow-up opponent and Josh Mayer. Now, there's two other guys that have been saying your name. You know, one guy that comes to mind is Calson De Jesus. I know you guys have a little beef that goes way back. Can you kind of tell us the origin of that? I was originally supposed to fight Calliston at NFC 90, 95 or 96. And I'm sorry, NFC 95. Uh... I was really looking forward to making my NFC debut. I had to wait until NFC 96, which isn't that big of a deal. But to me at the time, of course, it was. Um, I, I was training really, really hard, and then I get a message from Jesse, maybe 10 days. Jesse the matchmaker, 10 days before before the fight, pretty much, saying, oh, Calliston hurt his rib. He's out of the fight. I told him, Jesse, you mean to tell me he backed out? of the fight over his his rib tickling. I'm here to fight. I have injuries going into the the fight too. But at the end of the day, this is a fist fight. If you get into a fight in the streets, you can't you can't go to the person, "Oh, sorry, I, I can't. I don't want to fight you. My rib hurts." "Oh, I don't want to fight you. I have a headache." No, you're fighting. You know, it's kind of interesting because with your style, you do have that taekwondo style and, you know, as a betting man, if you're looking to bet on fights, you can't always rely on someone to go out there and get that knockout. You need a stable of guys that, if you're going to the judges' scorecards, you know for a fact that you're going to win the decision. And you possess those qualities, but you also have a bit of a street fighting background. So when you got into those street fights, were you point fighting these motherfuckers or are you just dropping them? What was the deal? <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely say the Taekwondo played a big part of all my fights, street fights, anything, you know. You see my movement. Nothing's changed. I still move around. I've been moving like this since I was four years old. That's not going to change. And one other guy that I know you have a history with, and that's June Kim. And, you know, it's funny. Right as you're going to make your MMA debut, he calls you out for a, for a kickboxing match. You think that was a, a well-timed, you know, call-out that he did? or He was looking for a chance to beat the poster boy, he says. But in my, in my view, and in a lot of people's view... He was looking for the perfect opportunity to call me out when he knew I was looking for an MMA fight, like you said. So, really, he, he played scared, in my opinion. He doesn't really want to fight. If he wanted to fight, I mean, honestly, if these fights don't work out, if Gaskin somehow backs out and Maris still doesn't want to fight me, you know, which probably won't change, then NFC 100, NFC 99, tomorrow in the gym or tonight in the cage, it doesn't matter. I'll knock you out. You pick the method. I'll pick the round. Do you have a message for the NFC community, for all the bantamweights out there? Because, look, I heard the champ vacated his belt, Zach Wolf. This is a guy that he's got a lot of good wins under his record. I thought a matchup between you and him would have been you know, a, a high-ticket seller, not, not to mention a very competitive fight as well. But the belt's vacant. I mean, what, t tell me your message for the NFC community, the whole bantamweight division. If I don't have the belt, if none of my teammates has, doesn't have the belt, if my brother doesn't have the belt, then guess what? I'm coming. Anybody that's in my division that's not a teammate of mine or is not my my brother or family to me, we're fighting. 
So when you visualize your career, look, you're only 18 years old, but you're already 9 and 1. That's so much experience for such a young age. When you visualize it and you really think about it, when will you make that UFC debut? Told you before, I'll tell you again. I'm going to be in the UFC by the time I'm 20, 24. Oh, wow. So, I mean, dude, you're giving yourself a little wiggle room, though. That's that's six years from now. You don't think you could do it sooner? I want to build my experience a little bit, you know. No rush on it. I'm still young. Like you said, I'm 18 years old. Why rush it? You see Sage Northcutt going in here, and he's getting thrown around. Why? He doesn't have grown man strength. He looks like he does, but it's on a whole nother level. Grown man strength is a whole nother thing. Let my body develop a little bit, get even stronger than I am, because I'm already out-muscling most of these grown men in my division. Imagine when I get a little bit stronger. No one's going to be able to stop me. And I think that's such a good point, because with your style, you know, you don't take a lot of damage. You know, one of my objections to someone having you know a prolonged amateur career is you know you don't want to leave your durability you know in your amateur career you got to save some for your pro fights but like we said you have a style that you you hit and don't get hit so you feel like that's going to kind of let you you know develop yourself and when you are ready you will make that UFC debut absolutely that's another thing a lot of people don't realize I've been practicing this style for for years you know this is this is my style you don't see many fighters like me you know um it's the Taekwondo in me, why I always have my hands down and stuff. That makes a, a lot of times that's a bait. A lot of people want to tell me, oh, keep your hands up, you know. The, why? Why? Who's to say having my hands down won't work? And when they say it won't work, I'm like, have you seen Stephen Thompson? Have you seen Conor McGregor? They have their hands down a lot of times. Anderson Silva literally had his hands down the entire time against Forrest Griffin and knocked him out with a jab. But I can't have my hands down. People usually just say, oh, but you're not Anderson Silva, you're not Conor McGregor, you're not John Jones, you're not, you're not any of these people. You're right. I'm Jamar Whitehead. You know, so we've been talking a lot about your Taekwondo background, and you know, it's easy to talk about that and ignore that you also have wrestling in your back pocket because you go in there against a the guy in Kyle Creighton. He's coming off a first-round knockout. He's huge for the weight class. And, you know, you're point-fighting him a little bit, and then he says, you know what? fuck it, I need to go out there, throw some big bombs. He starts to cut you off a little bit. He wants to throw a big bomb. He's getting frustrated. You ducked under, beautiful entry, took him down with a blast double. That was a part of your game that many people didn't know you had in the back pocket. So do you feel like, you know, from here on out in all your fights, we're going to be seeing new elements that we haven't seen before from you? Daniel, I get better every fight. You haven't seen nothing yet, honestly. This is just the, the tip of the iceberg, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely, but... To see you go out there and grind guys out, that is impressive. You know, what do you enjoy more? Do you like that element of surprise to duck under and get that big blast double? Or is, it, is there nothing like that head kick landing, shin on chin? Oh, there's nothing like head kick landings, man. That I feel some, there's something therapeutic about it almost. It's amazing. Well, listen, Jamar, before I let you go, man, you know I can't let you go without a couple fight picks, man. I mean, come on. This is half the battle. So, the money fight. Mayweather-McGregor. Now, I know as fans, we want McGregor to win. But he's going to another sport. Now, in this other sport, he can still throw his left hand, but it is another sport. And not only is he going to boxing, he's fighting the best boxer of all time, 49-0, Floyd Money Mayweather. You think that McGregor can go out there and get the biggest upset in sports history? You know, Daniel, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I really didn't believe McGregor had any chance at all until the other day I sparred a, a pure boxer. And I was able to outbox him pretty pretty clearly just from my movement. He, he kept on telling me after we sparred, 
man, your footwork's on another level. I don't know what to do. It's the MMA. It, it, there's nothing else. It's MMA. It's Muay Thai. I feel like if you train something besides boxing and then go to boxing where you're focusing on your hands, you don't have an advantage with the actual hands aspect, but with the footwork, I feel like there's somewhat of an advantage. Cutting the ring off, something. there You have an advantage. Like I said, I was able to do really, really well. Honestly, pick apart the boxer a little bit. So I got to give McGregor a chance. Honestly, I, if he can... If he can finish Mayweather within the first four rounds, then he's got it. But man, you think if it goes to deep water that Mayweather's just going to pick him apart? Because we have seen in the past that McGregor does have, you know, I don't want to say he's got cardio issues because MMA is such a different sport than boxing. You know, when you got all those clinch exchanges, when you got, you know, you're dealing with dudes trying to take you down, the head kicks, everything. It's a different toll, plus the five-minute rounds. It's different on the body than a three-minute you know, three-minute rounds in boxing. However, he's not used to competing in pro boxing. That's what's so interesting about it. It's a different grind, you know. Even Muay Thai and MMA is a different grind. I feel it in in the cage, you know. When they, when, they push, when they're pushing against you in the cage and you have to try to get them off and all that, it's, it, that's tiring, you know. So McGregor, yeah, he people say he has cardio issues, but does he really? Personally, I don't, I don't really think he'll have cardio issues going into this, this match. You have to realize he's still a a pretty big athlete, you know? He works hard, of course, as Mayweather does as well. You also have to realize they fought when McGregor had when McGregor fought Nate Diaz, he fought him and they had a 5-minute round. This is what, 2-minute rounds? 3-minute Three. Three rounds, I'm sorry. It's a, it's completely different. But you also can't kick him, you can't take him down. He has to only throw his hands. That's true. Now, let me ask you this, because look, there are ways to make it a dirty fight. I know you saw the first Marcos Maidana versus Floyd Mayweather fight, and Marcos was able to kind of use some MMA techniques there. You know, I was like, man, this dude's got a nice tight clinch, you know what I'm saying? And he would, it would almost look like he was shooting for takedowns, and he would just do little rough things to kind of rough Mayweather up and make him think about it. Do you think McGregor can at all bend the rules to his advantage, maybe lose a point or two in the process to eventually get the outcome he desires? There's people that come here to win a boxing match. There's people that come here to win an MMA match. And then there's people that come here to fight. McGregor comes to fight. If McGregor connects, McGregor's going to do whatever it takes to win. We all know how competitive he is as well. If McGregor connects on Mayweather's chin, he's going to put him out. That would be incredible. You know, it, there's a reason Mayweather is such a big favorite, but just... As a sporting fan, if we were to see that upset, and it's a huge if, how amazing of a moment would that be? That would be an amazing thing for MMA. I feel like that would be the the downfall of boxing. I feel like <laughs> I hope not, because I enjoy boxing. You know, I want to see GGG versus Canelo. You know, I like Danny Garcia. I like Keith Thurman. I like all these guys. Sean Showtime Porter. But the thing is, man. You're going into another man's sport, and you have to respect the best of all time, Floyd Mayweather. But there's something about these guys with that super self-belief, that crazy confidence that McGregor brings to the table. And it's almost like they visualize things and it manifests itself into a reality. And it's unbelievable how he's able to do that. You know, there's some other guys on the roster that possess those, those qualities. John Bones Jones, he was visualizing from a very young age. So if McGregor can do it, much respect. And much respect regardless. I mean, motherfuckers getting 100 mil just to step inside a boxing ring, you know? If I can tip-tap toe for 100 mil, who wouldn't take it, right? Now, I got to ask you your opinion on this one. You know, this is close to your weight class. 
a lot of people are saying that Demetrius Johnson might be the best fighter of all time. Now, I personally disagree. However, I do think he is he is great regardless. Now, he wants to beat Anderson Silva's record of 10 title defenses. He's taking on Ray Borg, who, you know, Ray Borg is one of these guys that he rises to the occasion. You know, he's very tough in the scrambles. And what's interesting about fighting DJ is that when you fight the champ, Demetrius Mouse Johnson, everyone's showing up the best version of themselves, you know? So Demetrius has to also show up as the best version of himself. And this is MMA. No one's invincible. Can this finally be the time where Demetrius takes an L? Or do you think his dominance will continue? Ray Borg's no slouch, man. He definitely has the ability to take out Demetrius Johnson. Uh, is it probable? No. But definitely possible. Ray Borg possesses a lot of stuff that will put D Demetrius Johnson out, honestly. That scrambling ability, that's what really stands out to me. And then you watch his one L. Well, he's got two Ls, but one was the split decision that we thought he won. But the real L against Justin Scoggins. I mean, Justin Scoggins is a five foot nine flyweight, and on his best day, he could be the best guy in that division. What stopped Justin Scoggins hasn't been a physical issue. It's been a mental issue, you know what I mean? He'll be dominating guys, and all of a sudden, he'll dive headfirst into a guillotine. So... You know, he had his best performance ever against Ray Borg, but Demetrius Johnson isn't a five foot nine karate guy. That's why I think this is so intriguing, man. And another thing I want to add, you remember the first round of Tim Elliott versus DJ too. Tim Elliott got the better of the grappling exchanges only in the first. He gassed out after that. So I'm curious if Ray Borg can capitalize on a you know, on a sloppy shot or something and take the back. I don't know. Look, we're talking about a plus seven fifty underdog, you know. I'm I'm reaching to try to give him a chance, but I just don't think he should be counted out. Like I said, it's possible, not probable, but I would say Ray Borg has a chance. Now, this one is really interesting, and I didn't expect this. This came out of the blue. Bisbee is coming back to defend his title, but it's not against the interim champ, Robert Whitaker. It's actually against the former welterweight champ, George St. Pierre. He's coming off a three-and-a-half-year retirement to take on the middleweight champ. What do you think about him moving up in weight class? And also, what do you think about him being favored over the current champ, Michael Bisping? I think this fight's completely stupid. If you're the interim champion, you should be fighting the champion next as soon as the champion's better. But since the UFC's crazy now, um, uh, yeah, if, G if, if the best version of GSP shows up, the GSP that beat John Fitch, the GSP that beat Dan Hardy, if he if that GSP shows up, he has a very high possibility of beating Michael Bisping. The thing that Michael Bisping has over GSP though is that he's been a little bit more active. Yes, he's coming off an injury, but he's still stayed more active than GSP. Also, GSP on his last few fights has looked pretty pretty bad, honestly. He fought Johnny Hendricks and Nick Diaz, Carlos Condit at all those fights. In my opinion, he was at a point he was threatened. I mean, compared to his past fights, let's just put it like this. He took more punishment in those three fights than he had, you know, his last ten, ten fights before that, you know? So it was kind of interesting. And he retired for a reason, you know, the concussions, the PEDs in the sport, a bunch of things, which is kind of an interesting thing coming from him. This is one of those situations where I feel like he thinks Bisbing is an easy fight. That, that's why he's taken him over the champ in his former weight class, Tyron Woodley. Like, doesn't it make sense that he wants to fight Bisbee more than Woodley because he thinks he's got a better chance of beating him? Hey, not only does he have a better chance of beating him, two, uh, two weight classes are a lot better than one, you know? So yeah. GSP might be the second, or what, the third one, actually, the third person to have two belts. Fourth. Because Randy Couture, BJ Penn, Conor McGregor. But only one person's done it simultaneously, and that's Conor McGregor. 
BJ Penn and Randy Couture, they, they held two belts as well. But, man, if GSP can do that, especially coming off a fucking three-and-a-half-year layoff, that would just be insane, dude. But let's assume that Bisbing wins the fight, right? So Bisbing's got to welcome back Robert Whitaker into the octagon, and they would unify the title. Who do you think would get the edge in that one? Whitaker all day. How do you see it going now? Because they're both strikers. You know they're going to stand and bang till one guy falls. Whitaker's going to pick him apart. He has a karate background somewhat, so he's going to throw a lot of side kicks, you know, crescent kicks. Michael Bisbing wouldn't know what to do with that. He's just going to know jab, cross, hook, uppercut. You can't do that if you got a side kick in your gut. <laughs> you feel like Whitaker would kick him, you know, five rounds later? Do you think eventually he'd go in there with that leaping left hook and put him down? I think he'd actually put him down eventually. We already know Bisbing has one bad eye. You know, it's interesting. I actually read a stat on Bisbing. Did you know that he's been dropped 10 times in his UFC career? I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that either. Crazy, right? I know one was Dan Henderson. <laughs> Three of those was Three Dan Henderson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But listen, Jamar, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the studio. A any last message for the NSC community? Anything you want to tell these guys? You know, you got Damian Gaskins on the on the docket at, at NFC 99. Then you got Josh Mayer at NFC 100. I mean, a any last words for these guys? Damian, thank you for uh, letting me go 3-0. and Josh Mayer, I can't wait to fight you. I mean, if you even take the fight. I'm, I'm interested in your next excuse. Anybody else that uh, isn't my, my teammate or training partner or my brother, I suggest you stay out of my division. If not... We're going to fight. I'm going to knock you out or I'm going to submit you. So there it is. Well, Jamar, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. Let the fans know where they can follow you on social media and any message for them. Go ahead. Uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at ASVP underscore underscore F-U-E-G-O. You guys can also follow my athlete page on Facebook at Jamar Whitehead, J-A-H-M-A-R Whitehead, exactly how it sounds. Snapchat, Jamar617, J-A-H-M-A-R-617. Add me on Snapchat, follow my story. Hey, tell them where they can buy that badass walkout shirt you got. Uh, JustHardApparel.com. Uh, shirts are $20. $20. They are pretty nice, aren't they? Yeah, you got to represent. They're, they're nice as hell. And uh, anything else you want to tell the fans, Jamar? Uh, yeah, thank you to everyone for all the support. You know, it really means a lot. Uh, you guys keep picking the method. I'll keep picking the rounds. And let's keep, let's keep getting these victories. There you have it, folks. Jimmy Rivera, Sodiq Youssef, Mark Cherico, and Jamar Whitehead. Thank you so much for checking out this very special edition of Half the Battle. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at BestFightPicks. Go to BestFightPicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher. Shaq and I will be back later this week to break down the money fight, Mayweather-McGregor, with a very special guest, James the Executioner Vic. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.